scriptures this morning come from Genesis 28, 10 through 12. Meanwhile, Jacob left Beersheba and traveled toward Haran. At sundown, he arrived at a good place to set up camp and stopped there for the night. Jacob found a stone to rest his head against and lay down to sleep. As he slept, he dreamed of a stairway that reached from the earth up to heaven, and he saw the angels of God going up and down the stairways. At the top of the stairway stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your grandfather Abraham and the God of your father Isaac. The ground you are lying on belongs to you. I am giving it to you and your descendants. Your descendants will be as numerous as the dust of the earth. They will spread out in all directions, to the west and the east, to the north and south, and all the families of the earth will be blessed through you and your descendants. What's more, I am with you, and I will protect you wherever you go. One day I will bring you back to this land, and I will not leave you until I have finished giving you everything that I have promised. Then Jacob woke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I wasn't even aware of it. But he was also afraid and said, What an awesome place this is. It is done none other than the house of God, the very gateway to heaven. The next morning, Jacob got up very early. He took the stone he had rested his head against, and he set it upright as a memorial pillar. Then he poured the olive oil over it. He named that place Bethel, which means house of God, although it was previously called Lux. Then Jacob made this vow, if God will indeed be with me and protect me on this journey, and if he will provide me with food and clothing, and if I return safely to my father's home, then the Lord will certainly be my God. And this memorial pillar I have set up will become a place for worshiping God, and I will present to God a tenth of everything he gives me. This is the word of the Lord. Jacob was not a very religious guy. I mean, I'm sure he had no problem with someone else being religious. It just wasn't his thing. Up to this point in the story, Jacob hasn't said a word to God. Up to this point in the story, Jacob hasn't said a word about God. The words God and Lord haven't trickled from his lips not even one singular time. I guess I don't blame Jacob for that. I've known a lot of people in my life who thought the religion stuff a bit strange and tales of God more than a little fable-ish. It's not so much that these folks were against religion or didn't believe in God in some way. It's just that they didn't see why it mattered at all. What difference does it make? It's sort of like the decorative garnish, the little side lettuce on your dinner plate. It looks nice, but it doesn't serve any real purpose, and there's no nutritional value in it, so it just kind of sits there. It's okay. We don't have any problem with it. And some folks look at religion in that way. The decorative accoutrement to life, but it's not meat and potatoes. Economics, 
That's real life, and Jacob thought so in terms of blessing and birthright. You follow the money, and that's where life happens. It's about the money. That's the real world. Politics, that's real life. You get the power, and then you can do what you want and what you think best, and that's life, political power. Education, that's real life. When you know better, you do better, right? Knowing better always equals doing better, which is why educated people never sin, right? <laughs> Knowledge, that's life. That's the real world. That's where the action really happens. But faith, take it, leave it, it's an add-on. Jacob had made it this far without God, and he now had the birthright and the blessing in hand, though, because he acquired both of them through trickery and deception, was now on the run from his own brother Esau who wanted to kill him. But he had what he wanted and didn't need God for it, he thought. And so out in the middle of the wilderness, at a place that's not even named until the end of the story, Jacob lay down to go to sleep. He arranged a stone for a pillow because there wasn't so much as a Motel 6 in that place. And there under the stars, Jacob drifted off to sleep. But that's a very dangerous thing to do, you know, to drift off to sleep because that's when the dreams start. When you're asleep and the brain's defense mechanisms are down and your emotional armor is relaxed, strange things can happen. Your subconscious can entertain the impossible because your conscience is slow to tell you that it is in fact impossible. Going to sleep is a laying down of arms of the brain. It's a vulnerable yielding of your control over life. And when the parts of our brain that we can control sleep, oftentimes that's when the parts of our brains that we don't control the parts of our brain that we can't control begin to play a bit. Even with all our scientific and neurological advancements today, we've yet to fully understand what happens to us when we dream. Did you know that the average person dreams three to six times every night? Those dreams can last two to 20 minutes long with the longer dreams coming in the deeper sleep of the night. And yet 95% of those dreams are forgotten by the time any of us rise from bed. We've forgotten 95% of our dreams before we ever get out of bed the next morning. And per an online poll that I created this week, some people, some even sitting in this room, have some really, really strange recurring dreams that happen over and over and over again. From feeling like you're falling to showing up for an exam unprepared, to standing before an encroaching tsunami, to having a conversation with someone who has died, to attending a funeral of someone who's living, to being in public naked, to one troubled soul, anonymous, who dreamed that her grand grandmother's feet were made of broccoli over and over and over again. I don't even want to psychoanalyze that. And that's just the what of dreams. The why of dreams is a mystery too. 
Scientists hypothesize about why we dream, but it's just guessing at this point, really. Some say it's a cognitive simulation of life. It's, it's the way the brain prepares us for real life. We dream that we're falling to prepare all of the systems of our body for when we are indeed falling or when we need a quick fight-flight response. Or we dream of things that scare us to death to prepare our psyches to face our fears. Some people say that dreaming is the brain's simulation of real life to prepare us for real life. Uh, others say, no, 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 it's more like the file compression of our computers. That just as our computers compress files to free up space on our hard drives, so our brains, when they're resting, sort of refile all the knowledge and the memories and the dreams to free up some bandwidth in our minds for new information. And the dreams are weird because the, the files bump into each other while we're reshuffling them. The broccoli file meets the grandma's file and poof. Still others say, no, it's not file compression, it's, it's psychotherapy. It's your brain's way of trying to take care of your soul. It's, it's self-care. Dreams are self-care. Because in your dreams, you rehearse memories and fears, and it detaches your feelings from whatever it is you're dreaming of. It helps you process them. Thus, when you dream of something difficult that happened to you once, you wake up and say, ah, oh, it wasn't real, it was just a dream. It wasn't real. But what is real? Your pulse, your high pulse rate, your sweaty palms. It's not real. You know it's not real, but you experience it as real. And some scientists say it's your brain's way of trying to take care of your soul and sort of process your feelings through the hard stuff of life. The truth is, we still don't know exactly why we dream. We just know that when the rationale rests, the sub-rationale is resurrected. And maybe there is more of us in our sub-rationale than we realize. I, I can't help but wonder if our dreams don't say more about us than our thoughts do. I don't know. I just know that Jacob lay down in the middle of nowhere and rested his head on a stone and fell fast asleep. And in his dreams, he saw a ladder, or it could also be translated a ramp, descending to the heavens, and angels were ascending and descending on this ladder or ramp. There was traffic going back and forth between heaven and earth, which is not how we tend to think of either heaven or earth. We tend to think that Whatever heaven is, the one thing it's not is earth. It's a clearly delineated other place far, far, far away where God's will is done and where God stands in detached objectivity from everything that's going on around us. Maybe God says, mm, I hate that happened. Or did you see that? But but there's a vast chasm between heaven and earth. It's, it's where the sentiment of phrases like big guy in the sky or the big man upstairs comes from. God is just sort of up there somewhere. And, and earth is many things. But the one thing we all know that earth isn't is, is heaven. Earth is where we're left to our own devices. It's where, you, where what you see is what you get. It's, it's why we focus on economics and education and 
politics because it's on us. It's left to us. And if we don't do it, and all that weight of creation is on us. But that's not Jacob's dream. I would also say this morning it's not God's dream. In Jacob's dream, it's not heaven up there and earth down here. In Jacob's dream, there is a, a ramp, a, a bridge between the two, and there's angel traffic going back and forth, as if to say that what happens on earth impacts the heavens and the one in the heavens who feels what's happening on this earth, and that on this earth we are not left to our own ingenuity and creativity and wisdom and strength, thanks be to God. This is no big man upstairs. That's not the God of Christianity. This is God with us. Jacob has seemed to care so little about God, and yet in this dream, he discovers that God cares so much about him. Jacob has seemed rather distant from the will of God, but in this dream, the presence of God is open even to this scoundrel, Jacob. I guess, brothers and sisters, even people who don't believe still dream. And the speech that followed the vision only confirmed the vision. Did you hear what the Lord said to Jacob in this story? The Lord says to Jacob, I am with you. In those words. I've been wondering if someone asked me to sum up the, the entire biblical witness in one sentence. It's an impossible thing to do. But what I might say, and I'm hard-pressed to think of any better answer to everything the Bible is trying to say to us than, I am with you. No, no, really, here and now, and you, and you, and you, and y'all, and all y'all. I'm with you. And, and not just presence here, but protection. The Lord says to Jacob, I will keep you. It's the same language earlier in the Genesis story when Cain says to the Lord, Am I my brother's keeper? In other words, saying, I don't care about my brother. I'm not his keeper. And yet here, God says to Jacob, running for his life from his brother, I will keep you. And the Lord says, I will bring you back to this land. This land will be your home. Can you imagine the depth and the breadth of this good news for Jacob? Can you imagine? To this lonely, homeless, refugee, traveling, abandoned, scoundrel, out in the middle of nowhere, the Lord promises presence and provision and protection. I'm hard-pressed to think of anything that could have been better for Jacob to hear out in the middle of nowhere on that stone pillow. This is good news. No, this is the good news. Gospel, maybe. But what interests me more than what happened when Jacob fell asleep is what happened when Jacob woke up. You ever thought about the options for Jacob here when he wakes up from this dream? What do you usually do when you wake up from a dream? Jacob woke up that morning with all of his life behind him that he had lived, all the swindling and lying and deceiving and heel-grabbing. 
And this dream that stretches out before him of a new world where heaven and earth come together, where God's existence has something to do with his existence, where angels are traveling all around him, where God would be his companion and provider and protector. This story isn't about the going to sleep. This story is really about the waking up. He could have just as I often do, just stretched his arms that morning and turned the alarm off and wiped the sleep from his eyes and said, whew, that was a doozy, what a dream. But it was just a dream. It was just a dream. That's what we say. That's what we tell our kids. It's what we tell other people. And truth be told, it's what I tell myself. It's just a dream. Jacob could have discounted the whole thing. He could have dismissed the dream for the real world. He could have lived into a future that was just more of his past, an extension of who he had been already. But there seems to be at least some change in Jacob at this point. He takes the stone that was his pillow. Surely there's some primal imagery here. He takes the stone that was his pillow upon which he rested. And he built an altar out of that Stone, And he says, surely, surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. And I didn't see it coming. I didn't know it. Who would have thunk it out here? He says, how awesome in this place. In fact, in the Hebrew, it says he was overawed. He was overawed in this nowhere place. And he named that place Bethel, Bethel, which means house of God. And there wasn't a stained glass window for miles. And his dream became his future. And that nameless place in the middle of nowhere where it was just Jacob and his soul and his dreams, that nowhere place became the decisive place, the hinge place in Jacob's whole story. You know, some people think, and for most of my life I was probably in their number, some people think that faith is primarily about cleaning up. Cleaning up behaviors, cleaning up attitudes, cleaning up the dirty laundry in the soul. Some people believe that faith is just about cleaning your life up. Which turns religion into a form of moralism where you do the do's and you avoid the don'ts. And what results from this view of faith and this view of reality is more and more of our own efforts. It's, it's us trying to do more, which is a sort of a religious form of consumerism, if you think about it. It's just try harder and do more and do better, and our souls begin running on the hamster wheel of try harder. And they become exhausted in a hurry because it's still all about us. And there is no tired like soul tired. The problem with moralism is that it leaves everything in our hands and it works out about as well as our New Year's resolutions every year do. It puts the weight of the world on our shoulders and it removes the mystery of life from us and it tries to cram God's awe-inspiring redemption into the words ought and should and those words cannot bear the weight of redemption. They can bear the weight of duty, but they cannot lead us to awe and wonder and mystery. 
But as one of my favorite writers likes to say, before faith is a cleaning up, faith is a waking up. It's a waking up. It's not about worthiness or else Jacob couldn't be in this story and you couldn't be in this story and I couldn't be in this story. It, it's not about worthiness, it's about consciousness. Thanks be to God. Because if this scoundrel Jacob, if this no good Jacob can see the mystery of sheer existence out in the middle of nowhere, maybe there's hope for all of us to see it wherever we happen to be any given moment. Jacob did not wake up that morning and say, I think I'm just going to try a little harder. He did not wake up that morning and say, I think I'm just going to do a little better, do a little more. In fact, his transformation was removed from his doing. He was transformed in his resting. Jacob woke up saying, this is a brand new world. But was it just a dream? Just a dream. Jacob woke up saying, surely the presence of the Lord is in this place and I didn't even know it. God came out of nowhere. This is the house of God. And the one who up to this point in his life had not seen God anywhere now had reason to begin seeing God everywhere. And the one who had made his way amidst human conflict and interaction in the stillness of that quiet place and in the depths of his dreams came in contact with a peace that did more for him than all that conflict ever did. When Jacob woke up that morning, he found the world of his dream more compelling, more convincing, more truthful than the world of his reality. When Jacob woke up that morning, he thought his dream was more real than reality. I've spent my week thinking about dreams and all your crazy ones. All my crazy ones. Do you know where I learned to dream my crazy dreams? Do you know who taught me to dream dreams? The church did. Church was the place that harbored dreams. Church was the place that cultivated dreams, that encouraged dreams, and baptized people into the dreams of God for this world. The church is the place where people said, imagine a world in which the first are last and the last are first and therefore you should not neglect the last. You should prioritize the last because that's where God will be and this is your dream. The last are first and the first are last only to walk out of the church and everybody says, that's just a dream. If you want to get things done, you pay attention to the first. That's why they're first and that's where God is up there with the first. It's just a dream. The church is the place where we dreamed of a, of a reality in which the invisible was as real as the visible and oftentimes all the more formative for our real lives. Only to walk out in the world and hear people say, hey, this is the real world. That's a nice dream, but this is the real world where what you see is what you get. The church is the place where we dreamed of a world in which doors were open to strangers and foreigners and immigrants because that's God's way. I, in church, I was even taught 
that sometimes when you entertained immigrants, you were entertaining angels unaware. You ever heard of that? It's in the Bible more than once. That, that maybe sometimes angels fall off that ladder between heaven and earth and knock on your front door. And what you do with them says something about what you do with God. Mm. Only to leave the church and walk out in the world and hear people say, this is the real world though. And that's a dangerous dream. The church is the place where we dreamed of a love that was more powerful than fear and hatred and ignorance and all of that put together. Love was more than that. And that love was greater than all the powers and principalities of this world and that somehow love had swallowed even death itself. And that love was more powerful than power. Only to walk out in the world and hear people say, but this is the real world. Nice dream and all. But this is the real world. The church is the place that taught us that it's more blessed to give than to receive. That what's mine is yours is the mantra of the kingdom of God. Only to walk out in the world and hear people say, but this is the real world. And if you open your hands, you'll leave with empty hands. The church is the place where we dreamed of a world where all people who bore the image of God were seen as such and honored as such and treasured as such. Only to go out into the world and hear people say, some people bear the image of God. The church is the place where we dreamed of a world in which there was a ladder between heaven and earth and not so much a fireman's ladder where we had to crane our necks to see the heavens. The church was the place where we were taught that the ladder between heaven and earth was more like a step ladder. And most of the time we bump our head on heaven when we wake up from our beds from our sleep every morning because it's right here under our noses. It's right here all around us and amongst us and within us. If only we have eyes to see. Which is to say if our faith is all about going to heaven, we're missing all the heaven around us today. We're missing it. Which is the dream of Jacob and the dream of God the dream that Jesus taught us to dream, which is that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I guess the choice before us today is the choice before Jacob when he woke up that morning out in the middle of nowhere of what we find most compelling, what we find most beautiful, what we find most truthful in this world. The dream or the reality. But be careful, brothers and sisters. Be careful. Because these dreams of the church, like Jacob's dream, are not the sort of dreams we wake up from. These are the sorts of dreams we wake up to. If we wake up at all. So wake up, you scoundrels. And you saints, wake up you people dulled by the world's dreariness. Wake up you children of God. Wake up. Not from the dream, but to it. Because surely, surely, God is with us. And the presence of the Lord is in this place. 
And this place. And this place. And all the places. And we never thought to look. Let's pray. Wake us up, O oh God. Not from our dreams, but to them. Until your dreams for the world become more real than the real world. No, until your dreams for the world become the real world. In the name of the God who is present to us, whether we know it or not, all around us, in the name of this God we pray. Amen.